Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And I have a question for you. What were you doing at 17? Whatever the answer is, it's not as cool as what PJ Terry did at 17. Just this Monday, PJ became the youngest winner of the Trans North Georgia race Obviously, that one taking place in Georgia, and he may be the youngest first place finisher of any bike packing race ever. If someone has those stats, I'd be super interested to know the answer to that question. During this year's race, I had quite a few people message me and tell me to be on the lookout for PJ. He had a good run at this race in 2021, and he came back in 2022 looking stronger and fitter than ever. And if it wasn't for some mechanicals, this race could have even gone a little bit better for him. But we'll let PJ tell his story on today's episode. Before we get into it, Let's take a moment to thank the people that made it possible, starting with our newest patrons. I'd like to remind you that Hefe Bikes is currently running a promotion. They are doubling everybody's yearly contribution to Patreon right now. So these newest patron contributions are going to be doubled up over by my friends at Hefe Bike. And if you want to go over there and show them the, some love, you can find them at hefe.bike. So this week, we'd like to thank Schwan Hardy and Travis Kurzminski. Thank you all so much for signing up. If you want to support the podcast and have your contribution be matched by Hefe Bike, you can find out more over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. Okay, and today's episode is also brought to us by Ruby Coffee. Something I want you to know about Ruby is that they are huge supporters of enjoying coffee outdoors, whether you're hiking, camping, or cycling. And they have a variety of options for coffee on the go. They have their instant creamery blend and a steeped creamery blend. And now they have an organic steeped August seasonal blend. Their instant creamery is made from brewing coffee that's been dehydrated, so it dissolves in hot and cold water, and their steep features freshly ground coffee in a mesh filter bag, which is then flush sealed into the individual sachet and is brewed by steeping in boiling water like a tea bag. Steeped is perfect for people who want a fresh cup of coffee and have access to boiling water. Ruby launched its steeped offerings with August as their flagship blend, and now August is certified organic as well. Organic steeped August is a bright breakfast blend designed to be easy drinking. All you need to do is open the pack, dunk the filter bag in a mug, add 8 to 10 ounces of hot water, and let it steep for 5 to 10 minutes. Sounds delicious? Pick yourself up some over at rubycoffeeroasters.com and don't forget to use the code BIKESORDEATH for 15% off any one-time coffee purchase or the first shipment of any subscription over at rubycoffeeroasters.com. And today's episode is also brought to us by the Bikes or Death Takeover. 
All right, everybody. Welcome to the podcast, Britain with Ride with GPS. We're here today to talk about the scavenger hunt at the Bikes for Death Takeover that Ride with GPS is sponsoring. Britain, welcome to the podcast. Right on, man. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Appreciate you guys hopping on as a sponsor and supporting our event. That's absolutely huge. We love everything you guys are doing and appreciate the support. Just in case somebody has been living on the rock or maybe they're new, completely new to bikepacking in this world, what is Ride with GPS? Ride with GPS is software specifically built towards making, mapping, navigating, and recording bike rides as intuitive and awesome as possible. Um, and we definitely have been like a pretty integral part of the whole bikepacking community for a long time, just because as far as connecting dots digitally on a map, in just about any way you could possibly imagine, that's our thing. That's what we do. And it turns out that bike packers really benefit from, from having those tools. Yeah. Simply put in my words, it is the best route building and route recording app there is for bike packers, gravel riders, adventurers, um, you name it. Uh, this is the go-to app. And we've we've actually did a, a full episode on Ride with GPS uh, that you can check out. Um in our show history, because uh, a lot of people, there's a, well, essentially, Ride with GPS is very robust and there's a lot of value in kind of going through and, and talking about it at length. But in short, it's a really badass bikepacking route building app. Totally. Yeah. And that, that episode, I think, is, it's like by far one of our most popular pieces of content that I think we've ever produced. It was awesome. I think Kevin, our marketing director, just got to do the deep dive with you um, based on questions and, and things that you would pose to your, your community. Um, so yeah, if anybody wants to do a proper deep dive, there's a ton of different tools and things you can do. Um, that's, a, that's a great place to start. The Bikes for Death Takeover is happening at Mulberry Gap this November 10th through the 13th. On the 12th, which is Saturday, we're doing a scavenger hunt in the afternoon. Uh, we polled our listeners, and this was the most requested event that we have during the takeover. And you guys, it's a perfect fit with Ride with GPS. Using the app, go find the POIs, navigate yourself around. So y'all are coming on board as a sponsor for the scavenger hunt this year. Tell us a little bit about what we'll be doing for the scavenger hunt. First, I, I just want to mention that's awesome to hear that it was the most requested sort of event of the entire thing. That's rad. But yeah, the scavenger hunt is, is I think, hopefully going to be a really fun way to bring together people and kind of do some team building. The loose structure is that your team sent us kind of specific POIs uh, as locations on the map, and we're going to kind of build a route around that. And then once folks get there, uh, they'll team up and basically decide which of the POIs they want to go to and visit as a team. And the way it's structured is it'll be worth different points. So if it's if it's a POI that's really remote and kind of hard to get to, uh, it'll be worth more points. Everybody has to get there as a team, take a, a selfie to show that they actually got to that POI. And then, yeah, once everybody kind of comes back to base camp or whatever, based on the number of points that they get for the scavenger hunt, it sounds like they'll have raffle tickets and they can kind of decide where to put those raffle tickets according to whichever prize packages they're most stoked about. So, yeah, it's kind of combining a little bit of route finding and, and navigation, but also just kind of mostly 
bringing people together in a cool way and having them go ride their damn bikes in the Mulberry Gap, which I think is sweet. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to do a little tutorial before uh, before we start. So if anyone doesn't know how to use Ride With GPS, we're going to do just a quick tutorial. You're going to break up into your team of four and y'all make a plan. And we, we did it in teams because we want everyone, this is supposed to be a, anybody can come, just bring your bike event. And so if you're not comfortable with navigation, you've never used Ride With GPS before, you'll be on a team. And so that's that's the great aspect of having a team is being able to work together and make sure everybody has a good time. Totally, yeah. And I think, honestly, in a lot of ways, what we're providing is secondary to just, yeah, getting to meet some cool, like-minded people and going to explore a little bit. And if Ride With GPS can enable that in any way, we're all about it. So, yeah, we're pumped to see sort of how it all unfolds. Well, I was surprised it was the most requested event, too. I'm not too surprised, but I, you never know what people are going to be interested in. I guess bike people like to go get lost in the woods and explore and maybe have a chance to win some prizes. So I like it. I like the non-competitive aspect of it. It should be a good team building. Just a fun afternoon in the woods, riding your bike. And uh, what could be better than that? Britton, thank you again. Thank you all. Ride with GPS for being a sponsor. And thanks for coming on today to share a few details about the scavenger hunt. Absolutely, man. Uh, we're excited to see how it all how it all takes place. Thanks for having us. Thanks, buddy. Bye-bye. Cheers. Hey, today's episode is also brought to us by Ombras, the cool armless sunglasses that you see on the faces of Ultra Romance, Sarah Swallow, John Watson, and yours truly. They're running a special for Bikes or Death listeners. When you buy a pair of Ombras, they will give you $20 off and they will also send $20 to Bikes or Death. All you have to do is use the code BOD20 at checkout and watch that magic happen. All right, everybody, thanks for being here. The bills are paid and now it's time to get on to the business of talking to my new friend, PJ. But before we do, let's have Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes or Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. All right, PJ Terry, uh, welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you for having me. Like less than two days ago, I did the math. It's been 41 hours uh, since you finished the Trans North Georgia. Um, and I believe you f shared first place. I think I know the answer to this, uh, but I've seen some slight discrepancy on who actually finished first and is it a tie? And so right off the bat, why don't we just put all that to rest and and was it a co-win or did you win first place? Like what happened there? Yeah, so it was a co-win. We uh, crossed the line, I mean, just about together, definitely within the same minute. So uh, yeah, that was really special. It was nice to share with Andy. He was a super great guy. So that was intentional. Y'all were y'all both 
was it a conversation y'all had uh, that, you know, at some point where you're like, okay, we're going to just ride in together or was it an unspoken thing and nobody like shot off the front? Yeah. So, um, I caught him, I want to say around like 10 AM and we rode together for, I mean, the rest of the race, but, um, around, I don't know, maybe like two or so. I asked him if he wanted to race for it, if we were going to go together. Um, and he said, you know, I mean, we still have a while to go, but if we're together, I don't want to race for it. So I was, I was happy with that. I, I wouldn't, I didn't really want to, uh, race for it. I had some crank issues, so I was a bit nervous if that would hold up. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. I heard about the crank, so we'll definitely talk about that a a little bit later. Yeah. And I want to, you know, give a shout out to Andrew or Andy, uh, I think is how you say his name. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, that was my understanding that you all, y'all shared, uh, first place and, uh, you know, no offense to him, uh, but I, the reason, honestly, like I had quite a few people um, send me your name and uh, quite a few people were like, hey, watch out for this kid. Um, and uh, I did. I, so I was watching your dot. I was kind of rooting for you behind the scenes. Um, and no, so no shade to Andy if you're out. I know if you listen to this, man, uh I just want to say congrats to both of you guys. And I don't want to throw any shade on Andy by not giving him a little spotlight, but you know, your age does add uh, a level of interest and curiosity and, and challenge and perspective that we don't often get to hear. Right. So that's very unique and yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about it. So I think, you know, Again, first question, uh, 41 hours ago, you finished um, riding the TNGA. You, you, co- you shared the win on that one. Um, like, how, how are you feeling? You're a run- young kid. Maybe you, like, bounce back, no problem. Like, how, but how do you feel? Take an assessment real quick. Um, I mean, definitely better than yesterday, but not, <laughs> not great. Um, not too much muscle soreness, but, I mean, I'm having some hand problems. Um, just a bit of like numbness, uh, a little bit in my feet, but I mean, not, not as bad as I was last year for sure. I mean, okay. Yeah. What about, uh, fatigue, uh, mentally and all that? Um, you know, have, are you feeling like kind of recovered? You got in <laughs> some food? Yeah, definitely eating a lot. Um, yesterday I was struggling to put together a coherent sentence but today i was back at school um yeah i mean mentally feeling pretty pretty all right okay yeah i was (laughs) gonna ask about school that's freaking crazy man you're already going back to school uh well i don't normally ask my guests this uh but how old are you i'm 17 right on and when when is your birthday so are you deep into your 17 or yeah uh march 22nd so about what's that halfway ish yeah so i assume you're a senior in high school i am yes sir okay and are you a are you like a traditional high school student no homeschooling Mm -hmm. go to school yeah yeah okay public school yeah yeah now uh where i know you live somewhere in the region but but where do you live in relation to the tnga so I'm about an hour northeast of Atlanta. So it was um, around about a half hour, no, not, excuse me, hour and a half drive to Clayton, which is the city everyone stays at, and then another half hour to the start. 
So I mean, close-ish. Yeah, and you're are you from that area? Yes, I've lived in the same area my whole life. So yeah, you're you're pretty familiar. This is your backyard. Um, and you alluded to it earlier. This is your second year to take a, a stab at the TNGA. So like, as far as schooling is concerned, um, I was thinking about it and like it probably, this race probably works pretty well for you. Cause you can like train mostly during the summer. It doesn't interrupt your schoolwork too much, I would assume. But, um, you know, my daughter's just started school a couple weeks ago. I assume, I mean, you're obviously just going to school. So how much time did you have to take off from school uh, to make this happen? So I just took off Monday and Tuesday. The race starts Saturday morning. So that wasn't really a problem, just leaving after school. But uh, definitely has some stuff to make up. So not ideal, but not a deal breaker. Yeah. Okay. Only a couple of days. So that's not too bad. How, uh, from your parents' perspective, like how supportive are they of... I don't know, missing school and prioritizing this and, and, and doing something like really hard and challenging and dangerous and scary. And, you know, you're 17, you know, uh, how, how supportive are your parents of, of all of this? They are super supportive. And honestly, I don't know how they do it. Um, I, I've always had like tracker issues and that's always been a big thing to work through, but, uh, they're, they're always with me. So that's, uh, that's special. My dad was just up there in the area just in case anything were to go wrong. Um, but I mean, I was out there alone and they were, they were all right with it. So that was really, really special. Yeah, it is special. It's really special when you have parents that can, I mean, honestly, man, I mean, they're trusting you like, you know, to go out there and, uh, tackle something, conceivably that you are choosing to do nobody's making you do this and so that is huge what how how did and when and how did cycling and bikepacking and race i mean you're young i don't mean to make a big deal about it but like you haven't been alive that long so <laughs> when did uh when did all this like come on your radar all right so uh i started with just i mean traditional sports i did about everything soccer lacrosse i've played lacrosse for a lot of years but um i got into our high school mountain biking team and that's just um xc and i just progressed at it i was really liking it getting better and then i started going to spin class at the gym and i met my friend nick and uh he was kind of into like distance um at the time, it was like six hours, and we thought that was crazy. Um, and he would always talk about the TNGA and just how crazy it was and the people that did it. And I was like, wow, that's that sounds kind of cool, like to ride across my state. Um, and he attempted it. He DNF'd his first year. And then the second year, we went back together. And um, that was my first first bikepacking race and that was last year when did you uh get on the high school um mountain bike team was that your freshman year i want to say that was maybe seventh or eighth grade oh so that's middle school yeah oh wow so how long has y'all's um 
uh, like mountain biking collegiate program been in existence? Do you happen to know? Um, I'll be honest. I'm not totally sure. Um, longer than I've been around it for. Yeah. So. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, man. I mean, here locally in like just my town, um, cross country mountain biking for high school only became a thing like five years ago. I mean, it, it didn't exist on any level in any school anywhere. And so the whole like Texas mountain biking scene is completely new to me. Um, but it's really cool to see, um, yeah, other, other, um, areas where it's more common and it also, it just shows how cool it is to expose young people to, you know, outdoor sports and not, nothing wrong with them, but I mean, just traditional, you know, rack and ball or net and ball sports or whatever, which I've played lots of those too. And they're great, but it doesn't be bikepacking. Come on, man. You can't put lacrosse <laughs> against bikepacking. Like it's just not a fair comparison. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So were your parents like always uh, supportive of, of of like this crazy stuff? I mean, was there a point where you had to like convince them that this was going to be okay? Um, I mean, they were always pretty supportive. I mean, nervous, uh, but they were always confident that I thought everything through. I mean, I'd like to say I'm a pretty prepared person most of the time. I mean, I did my research. Um, I, yeah, I think I always went into it prepared and like ready. So I think they had faith that I knew what I needed to know and that, um, I would probably be all right. So, yeah. Does that speak to kind of who you are as a person and, and from their perspective as, as their kid, like you've built some trust with them over the years to where, you know, maybe this is a little bit more palatable. Yeah. I'd like to think so. I mean, yeah. yeah. It seems that way. It seems like, I mean, do you have any other brothers and sisters? Yeah. I have a sister. She's two years younger than I am and she rides as well, but not, not this sort of stuff. Maybe that's your parents' perspective. They're just like, well, we got another one, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm the first of my family of the, out of the kids. So, I mean, we're always expendable. We're like the test dummy, you know, they're like, well, if it doesn't work with that one, we always, we always got a backup. So maybe that's what's going on. Yeah, maybe. Obviously, obviously, man, it's, it's super cool. I always love to see, were your parents like outdoorsy and sports oriented camping, any of that stuff? Like, or did you just come to this completely on your own? I mean, obviously, with your help of your friend Nick and mountain biking, but I mean, outside your family, I mean, yeah, not um, particularly like sporty. I mean, we quotations camp uh, as a family. We have a camper, but um, yeah, we like to do that and hike together. Um, and I mean, now they're coaches on the mountain bike team, so we all do it as a family. But coming into that, they weren't particularly super outdoorsy but um very supportive of it and enjoyed like learning along with me i'd say yeah man that's awesome maybe i should have had your parents on here they sound cool too <laughs> they certainly are that's awesome man it's good to have great uh family that supports you and all that stuff um what about 
it, do you do anything else now? Has cycling completely taken over your life? Do you have friends? Do you do schoolwork? It sounds like you have a job. Uh, you know, do you do you, uh, do all the other stuff? Um, I don't do any other sports. Uh, I'm not a big like party person. I don't do too much with friends. I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> I do work in the summer. I was working about like 30 hours a week. Um, so I mean, I had a, a job, so I had to balance that with training, but now it's schoolwork, a little bit of work and yeah, just riding. Nice. Well, it'll take up a lot of your time and that's a better thing to spend your time on than a, a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess as long as you're still getting your schoolwork done, it's fine. <laughs> Always. From my perspective, you could just drop out of school and that'd be fine too, but I'm not your parent. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, gonna stick with it. Yeah, probably a good idea, at least through high school. Are you planning on going to college? I am. I'd like to go to UGA, and that's that's my current plan. It, I assume that's relatively close to home? Yeah, it's uh, about 45 minutes, so not too bad. Yeah, okay. So you did TNGA in 2021. Uh, we just learned that was your first ever bikepacking race right? Mm-hmm. Uh, between then and now, have you done any other um, events or have these been the, the only two races that you've done? Yeah. So about a month and a half ago, I did the Vista, um, which is a route in Tennessee. It's 320 miles and 40,000 feet. So um, very similar. Very similar. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of like a test run for TNGA. Um, we traveled light. Uh, we got like three hours of sleep over 55, um, elapsed. And that kind of prepared me for TNGA and like what I would go through. I was with two friends on that one. So it was kind of like a light entry. Yeah. And were they both training for TNGA as well? Yes. We all three did that and TNGA and they finished third and sixth ish somewhere like that so nice well the, here's your sign anyone going to tnga you got to watch out for the the locals <laughs> <laughs> they know the terrain and they're training and they're young and they apparently recover very fast so that should be concerning to people <laughs> that are going to <laughs> that care about times i guess oh when you said the the results were you talking about the one in tennessee or the results for tnga this year that was for TNGA this year. That was for, how did, did y'all, were y'all even worried about your time at the one in Tennessee? And how did you do? Not particularly. Um, for ITTs, we're like first, second, and third. I think we might be the oh, only Oh, it was an ITT. Have, yeah. Okay. My bad. I missed that. And I mean, we might be like top five overall or so for this year. But I mean, we weren't too time focused on that one. Yeah. That's funny. You race your friends. Did y'all have a fight over who was first? <laughs> no. I mean, I think we all kind of finished together and our GPS has just happened to read separate times, but it's all good. We weren't racing. Of course. I was just kidding. Uh, so your first TNGA, your first ever bike um, packing, bike ra- bike pack racing experience. Um, how, did, how did that one go? How, yeah. Well, first... How, how like nervous were you going into it, if at all? Like, 
Yeah. So there was some interesting stuff last year. So about a month before we pre-rode um, a pretty tough section of the course, and that really humbled me. Um, way harder than anything I had ever done, harder than I expected. So I was pretty nervous coming in. Um, and then the night before the race, about 16 hours before the start, um, my bike was, uh, I was told it was unrideable. The frame was cracked. So I was trying to find a bike to ride, um, the night before. So that was, uh, it made nerves just at an all time high. I've never been particularly like high strung nervous, but that was bad. Um, so then going into the race, um, wait, wait a second, how'd you get a bike? <laughs> oh yeah. I guess I should uh, touch on that. Um, one of my I, I'm, coaches, I'm confused. So you found out the night before the race that you had a frame that was cracked and then you're like, I need, need a bike before tomorrow morning. Yeah. That seems, yeah, that seems stressful <laughs> and impossible. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I have a coach that had like a spare bike that was very similar. Um, same frame, but different components, whatever. So the frame bag I made fit on that, which didn't have to scramble for another piece of the puzzle. So that was super amazing. And I was very grateful for that. Okay. So you just got lucky, essentially. Uh, I was picturing you having to like build up a whole new bike, but you just got handed a bike that was ready and you could ride it and you could put all your stuff on it. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Did that cause any uh, issues with like fitment or any anything like that um, during your race? I mean, because even if you like dial in a bike before a race or ride, you know, you still like feel like there's minor adjustments that need to happen over the course of the next week or two, depending on how much you're riding. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I didn't have any like super bad knee issues. I mean, I had a bit, but I don't think I ever had time to adjust the suspension and it was set for a weight, probably 40 pounds heavier than I. <laughs> so, uh, that led to some hand issues. Um, but I mean, Nothing, nothing to write home about, really. So how did that one go? So Nick, who I was riding it with, he, uh, he crashed out, um, by mile a hundred, which was really unfortunate. But, uh, we were stopped at a gas station with two other single speed racers. Um, and they agreed to let me tag along with them. I mean, which was incredible considering i had like zero experience um so yeah i tagged along with them and it was can we pause real quick right there when you yep. say zero experience um i know this is your first race but had you done like bikepacking trips before to get acclimated to you know that part of the process or Never. wait a second were you even planning to sleep i bet you weren't even planning to sleep I mean, so I'd never done any bikepacking, like zero overnighters, anything. <laughs> so we weren't really planning to sleep either, which was so unrealistic. We <laughs> we were in way over our heads. Um, 
but yeah, like just un- underprepared, all that fun stuff. Yeah. But didn't you like come in second place? Uh, last year I was ninth. Oh, really? I, yeah. Um, I finished with, uh, Cedar Blanchard was his name. So my spot tracker didn't work for the last like 200 miles. Oh, I wonder if that's what was going on. Um, yeah. whenever I was looking back at it. So you still had a good result. I mean, a top 10, mm-hmm. your first one, never doing any bike packing, um, never doing anything to this extent. I mean, that's a, that's still a successful run, I would say, right? Oh, absolutely. I was beyond happy with it. Just, yeah, over the moon. Yeah. So how much harder was it than you thought it was going to be that first year? Uh, That's probably not a fair <laughs> question, but... <laughs> yeah, I don't even know how to put it into words. It was just to have to deal with everything, whether that be trench foot or chafing saddle sores just all combined with the terrain because it is not an easy course just everything compiled makes it so difficult how did you deal with all that um uh, (laughs) as bad as it sounds just kind of ignored it i wasn't too um experienced on dealing with all that stuff so i was just hoping it would go away or I'd finish. And you did. It's a good lesson out there. Sometimes just put yourself, throw yourself to the wolves and ignore it and see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) Can't say I'd recommend it, but it works. Yeah, that's bike. I mean, (laughs) to some degree, that's bike pack racing, you know, like you can't, you, it's, it's very difficult to replicate race pace, race environments, the, the no sleeping, like all the things most people, you know, we're not replicating that too easily. Right. And so, I mean, really almost for anyone, once you get out there, you're just going to find out what your body and your mind and your bike is willing and able to do. And, but from your perspective, you had a whole nother level because I mean, you didn't have any point of reference. So yes, you knew how to ride a bike. Um, but you know, all those other things were just learning experiences along the way. So it makes me wonder, like, what what did you learn from that first experience? Like, what was your takeaway um, that maybe helped you this year? I'd say just that I'm a lot more, like, capable than I would have thought. Um, I mean, I went through a lot with the bike and losing the race, my race partner and all that. So just a lot of unexpected things, but then still to come out like and finish was really, really special. Um, and I learned a lot from that and just different kind of outlook on things, you know, can you elaborate on the out your outlook on things? What does that mean? Um, I mean, just that like, if you have the right mindset, like nothing, is really like insurmountable. Like you, you can do it if you go in thinking you can, cause I had my doubts and everything last year. And then as well this year, um, I mean, there were just some things during the ride that happened pop up, but, um, yeah, you can get over it. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I apparently you apparently you listen to the podcast, so you've probably heard us talk about you know that that knowledge that you have that can't be taken away of how tough and capable you are, and how you know if if you want to and you have that perspective, it can manifest itself in ways throughout your life beyond bikepacking and. So I think it's great at a young age you're you're able to like zoom out and be aware of, you know, the implications and the value of knowing, hey, I can be scared, I can be unsure, I can be doubting myself, um, but that's okay, you know. And sometimes you just have to try, and 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 when you do, um, you can learn a lot about yourself. And it doesn't. And I also say like even if you fail, even I don't call failures failures. Like even if you try it and it doesn't work out, it's just a learning opportunity. It's an opportunity to examine how and where you could have done better, and and kind of move on from that. And so I, I look at the whole thing as a real valuable experience. Um, so you've had, uh, the, the one TNGA, which was a opening, eye opening, mind opening universe expanding. I'm going to get away out there experience. Um, what, what did you take away from that? How did you train differently for TNGA this year? based on what you learned from the first year? Yeah. So last year, um, I had like a traditional coach and all of that training plan stuff. Um, which I mean, I oh, came really? in with, yeah. For, just, uh, like a, like training for that one event or just like an, a general training coach. Um, training for that event. That's what he kind of had me, uh, peak for. Awesome. Um, so it was the traditional kind of like XC racer, road racer kind of thing just developed for um, ultra endurance. But I came in not the best, like mentally or gear prepared, I'd say. So this year was just totally different. I had no coach, uh, no training plan. I just kind of rode when I wanted what I wanted. Um, and I think it was nice to keep myself happy and like from overtraining, which was a problem last year for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Being fatigued and going into something like tired and worn out on it isn't going to help. And we hear that over and over again, how having a positive mental attitude, a mental space that you can maintain, is, is really important, uh, to be successful in these types of events. You know, it's going to be hard to be, uh, like motivated if you're like not having a good time, like if you're not having fun, if you're not enjoying the experience. So, I mean, was your approach to that to simply take the pressure off and, and just ride whenever you wanted to, was that how you kind of, for lack of a better word, fixed um, that mental drain or that lack of excitement for, you know, writing? Yeah, I definitely say so. I mean, it, I was getting to the point last year where I was just dreading going out. Um, which I mean is never good. I don't ride my bike to win. I mean, I enjoy the experience and the people I meet and the journey, but, um, and I mean, winning is nice, obviously, but, uh, yeah, it was good to not go into it just 
not wanting to get on my bike. You know, I was super excited for TNGA this year. Couldn't wait to put down a good effort and meet cool people. So, so what, 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 what did your training look like this year? I mean, um, when you say I rode whenever I want to, I mean, do you have a sense for how many miles were you putting in? Were you mountain biking? Were you gravel riding? Were you on the trainer? Like what, what did that actually look like? Yeah. So no trainer miles this year, which was a big, uh, difference from last year. I was doing a lot of like road. I mean, whether that be group rides or there's like a local training crit just to keep it fun and different. I mean, I do like long gravel rides on the weekends. Um, just keeping things fresh. Um, I mean, mountain bike rides when I can. So changing it up made it interesting and fun all the time. So no real training block goals. You literally were just riding where and when and however much you could and felt like doing and that was it. Yeah. I mean, I might ride 15 hours one week, six the next and just didn't really matter. Yeah. What about, um, did you do any different type of preparation in terms of like your bike, your gear, your, um, you know, the food you took or anything like that? Yeah, I had a super detailed spreadsheet on the exact items I was going to pack, where I was going to pack it. Because last year, I way overdid it, brought so much stuff I didn't need. Um, so it was nice to have it very streamlined and efficient. And then I felt good on the bike, didn't have to take a lot of time when I stopped, which right. saves time. Yeah. What were some items, if you can remember, that you didn't need that you didn't take this year? Do you remember? Yeah, I brought like just like a spare pair of clothes last year. Um, (laughs) Just way too large of a water filter. I mean, it was just random stuff that weight adds up and bulk. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you got to be super mindful of your space. And also, man, like having a dialed list, knowing where all your stuff is speaks to efficiency. You know, Hey, if I get a flat, I'm going here. This is what I need to do to fix it, whatever. Let's do a little preview of the TNGA. Um, so, I mean, I, I'll read off the stats because I can do that. Uh, it's the TNGA stands for the trans North Georgia, 357 miles, about 400. I've seen, not 400. I've seen anywhere from 40 to 50, thousand feet of climbing so somewhere around there um it's a point to point race um obviously spanning across georgia and it's part of a larger network of trails called the the southern highlands traverse um, which is all on bikepacking.com and everybody can go and um, check out all of that um and and so, yeah, those are like the stats. But if you were going to uh, tell somebody or describe the Trans North Georgia to somebody, how would you describe it? So, I definitely say it's more of a mountain bike race. I mean, you'll see a couple people out there on more gravel setups, but I, I wouldn't take anything less than a hardtail personally. Um, there is a lot of gravel, there's some pavement, but there's some famous uh, single track in the Penhodes, um, and then the Snake, which is an annual race um, on some super rocky backcountry single track. 
Um, yeah, a lot of climbing, just abandoned forest roads, single track gravel. It's, uh, it's gorgeous, but tough. Yeah. How much, uh, how much like hike a bike situation? How much of this is actually rideable? Um, I would definitely disagree probably with the figure on bike packing. I think it says like 99. Um, I certainly can't ride 99% of it. It's proper technical and then steep. Um, I, I couldn't give you a figure. Honestly, this year I was walking a lot due to my crank issues, which I mean, we'll touch on, but, uh, Oh, it's a good bit of hiking. I mean, be prepared, I guess. (laughs) What what do you think, for you personally, what is the most challenging part of the route as a whole? Um, Like, the most challenging area would probably be the snake. It's just excruciatingly slow. I mean, you might average three miles an hour for what seems like forever. Um, Mm. Just super steep, super technical. yeah, it's mentally tough and it comes 260 miles in. So you're deep into the effort at that point. So, oh, wow. You read my mind. That was my next question. So, yeah, you're hitting that at a, it's not only the most challenging technical section, but at this point, you're sleep deprived, you're tired, your bike isn't working and becomes a lot, a lot harder, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Were you dreading that section going into it this year, knowing that it was coming? Were you worried about it or? just take everything as it comes? Um, I was a bit worried, but I kind of came into it um, hoping to kind of get my ego back after last year because last year I was I was not in a good place throughout most of it, just super down on myself, um, just not where I needed to be like mentally. So this year I kind of wanted to come back from that. And it was, I think I did it. Um, which was super cool. Now, when you say you were down on yourself mentally, when you were in that section or, or after the race was over? Um, in that section, just walking everything that I shouldn't be and cursing myself and all that bad. Okay, yeah. So you had a history with this section. So men- yeah, mentally, physically, you knew it was coming, um, but you felt like you handled it pretty well this year. I guess the question there is what do you think attributes to that? Was it a mental space? Was it being fitter? Was it a combination of that? Like maybe it's just even knowing that it's coming so you can mentally prepare yourself for it. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I'd say it's mostly mental. Um, that goal I think motivated me a lot. And then I was trying to catch, uh, the guy in front of me, I was in third at the time. Um, so I think that like made me realize I have to be efficient. I can't stop and have a pity party for myself at the top of this climb. I got to ride down the other side. But yeah. then, yeah, knowing it was coming, I had never ridden it before the previous year in 2021. Um, that's very insightful. You know, it's coming. Yeah. So at that point, at 260 miles, you were chasing Abe Kaufman, right? Um, there was Abe know? Kaufman that was in and first. And then Andrew. 
Yes, because I had to stop in Dalton for two hours to uh, fix my crank. Work on your crank. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most uh, the most foreshadowing we've ever done about the crank. Dun dun dun. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we'll, I want to talk more about all of that stuff, um, but to stick with my show notes, um, what? Oh, wait, I was going to ask you this question. Um, what was your favorite part? What is your favorite part of the Transnorth Georgia? You said it was beautiful. What what part, like, really, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't have to be beautiful, but what what is your personal favorite part of the trail? I don't know if I had, like, a favorite, like, section of the course. I like the first, I don't know, what was that, like, 16 hours because i was riding with people all day and i met some super nice people um so that was pretty cool and then i mean i rode the last uh 10 or so hours with andy to the finish and that was cool too so anytime i was riding with people was definitely a good time you know it's interesting man uh You've mentioned that quite a bit about, you know, meeting people and getting a ride with people. Um, you're also going fast. You're also there to like race and push yourself. But it seems like that that communal aspect of it is rather important to you. Um, it, do you know what about it like that you enjoy um, about that specific part of it? Like what? what Because, you know, there's also I guess what I'm thinking to just suss this out a little bit more there's also the bike pack racer that goes to be solo, to be isolated that, yeah, not to be grumpy or whatever, but some people just want to like put their head down and go, but that doesn't seem like your, your approach. Yeah. I mean, I was alone for, I mean, probably the majority of the time. Um, and I enjoyed that to kind of reflect and like look inwards. But at the same time, I do like having the, stretches with people so i don't know i enjoy hearing people's like outlook and what they've liked or not liked about the course and how they've taken it and learning from them like what works and hasn't um yeah so just getting to meet people learning yeah i feel you so really like yeah it's not like you're riding with people the whole time those those moments when you are riding with other racers that are doing the same thing it that's why it's a highlight because it's kind of special it's cool it's like hey we're in this together you can commiserate you can talk about the high times the low times or what and it's just like it's probably a, a boost it sounds like for sure yep yeah i mean where else are you going to find um the same the people like doing this kind of stuff you can go on instagram and chat with them and stuff but that's when you're really going to get to probably learn the most and get to meet some really like-minded people so i definitely see the see the appeal what about we talked a little bit about this but what what were your goals? I mean, you said racing, going fast, winning isn't necessarily the the most important aspect of it. So for you, what did you want to get out of this experience? What were your goals going into it? Um, so I had a time goal of about 60 hours, which is just a nice round two and a half days. Um, so that was my goal. I was hoping to go under that. I ended up just over, but it wasn't a 
huge deal to me. Um, but I mean, honestly, over by what? 30 minutes. Yeah. 30 minutes, but okay. Yeah. So (laughs) for everybody listening, he got 60 hours and 30 minutes, I believe. Right. Yeah. Something right around that. I don't even know to be honest. Well, that's my math. You, you're, you're in charge of recovering. I'll be in charge of the math and hopefully I got it right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I just wanted to be like satisfied with the effort I put in is the overall, the overall goal. Like I wanted to be happy with how fast I went, but then didn't want to go so fast that I didn't enjoy anything. So yeah, just finding a nice balance was my main goal, I'd say. Yeah, that's a great goal. What about um, your your sleep uh, goals? Uh, the first time you said that was kind of silly to think you could do it without sleeping. What were your goals with sleeping? What was your strategy there this year? Yeah, so after the uh, Vista ride, which I did the month and a half prior, um, I knew I could get away with pretty little sleep. Um, so that was three hours over... 55 in this ride i did about an hour 50 over the 60 hours um so yeah just sleeping as little as possible but i wasn't going to push it to a point that it was dangerous so just small naps when i had to it ended up being like a 20 minute and then two 45 minute naps okay so yeah about an hour and 50 minutes it sounds like for for napping. Um, and as far as your strategy, your mindset with that was just listen to your body and, and take a nap when needed. Yep. And that was it. And then I didn't carry any sort of sleep system past, uh, I had a rain jacket and then an emergency blanket I never used. So it was packing okay. light. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you find that amount of sleep to be good? Do you think you could have slept less? Do you think you should have slept a little bit more? Um, I definitely do not think I could have done it safely with less. Um, I was getting pretty fatigued in the last couple hours to the finish, but I mean, at that point you're so close, you know, running on adrenaline. Um, but I was pretty satisfied with it. I think I found a decent balance. Yeah. Yeah. So you just touched on you went light this year. Give us a a breakdown. uh, Just, you know, we don't have to go in super detail, but give us like a breakdown of your your bike, your gear, water, food. Like what was your strategy, your approach with your equipment? Yeah. So I'm on a Scott Spark RC uh, full suspension XC race bike. So it's 100 mil travel front and rear. Um, for water, I had a 50 ounce camelback vest and then another 50 ounces on the bike. And that was plenty enough for, um, really everything. And then food, I just used gas station food or whatever I could find. Really. I don't have a set nutrition plan. Um, but in terms of food, um, I I don't know how many resupplies. So could you, did you just load up some bars or whatever on your bike on when you started and then just relied on all the POIs going along and there were plenty of them? Yeah. So the longest stretch was probably over night one to like afternoon two. 
And I mean, that's just a slow, like 80 miles or so. But I mean, usually it's not terrible to find food. Like logistically speaking, it's not the hardest route out there for sure. Um, So yeah, I would just load up with whatever I could find, candy, bars, gas station, just crap really. Whatever your body's craving and you can (laughs) shove in your frame bag, right? I mean, this is a pretty short race, so you don't have to be as mindful, I think, with nutrition. Mm -hmm. I think everybody's body is different and and what your body needs is different. So, I mean, because this is only like a two and a half day race for you, you got your bike, you got your food, you got your water. You're running pretty light other than like a toolkit and like an emergency blanket the rain jacket, I mean, were you carrying much else extra on you? I mean, I had like battery banks uh, for my phone and computer. I had like all the ointments for saddle sores, all that fun stuff. But uh, I mean, other than that, nothing, nothing large for sure. Just Did you weigh your setup? I did not. I would guess without water, it'd probably be around like, 32 or so pounds. Yeah, that's nice. So Especially light. on a full suspension bike. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's getting down there for sure. There's some full suspension bikes that are stock at 32 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. very happy with it. Yeah, that's awesome. What about, um, was there anything that you didn't take you wish you had? It sounds like you're way more prepared with, you know, your ointments and everything you needed to do to like maintain your body. Did, were you successful? Um, yeah, I honestly, there was nothing I thought of during the race that like, I wish I had, um, I felt pretty prepared. I don't think I skipped over anything. So I was pretty happy with that. Awesome. That's sick, man. Good job. All right. Let's talk about your crank. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I know nothing about the crank. Actually, it was Kate over at Mulberry Gap who uh, sent me a message and she was like, hey, uh, something happened with this crank. Make sure you ask him about it. I think I got a Facebook message, too, about your crank. Um, so, yeah, what what happened? Yeah, okay. So, um, I first noticed it around mile, I think, let's see, what is that? Like 180 that there was like a little bit of play between the crank arm and the spindle and chain ring. Um, so I didn't really think much of it. It was just a little bit of wobble. Um, but by the time I got to Mulberry Gap, which is at mile 212, uh, it had gotten significantly worse. Uh, so I had my bike like cleaned up and looked at. And when I came back outside, um, they told me my cranks were delaminating. So exactly like I had found the crank arms were separating from the spindle and I was told there wasn't really any fix for it. And you just kind of rode it until it broke, which was scary. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And if it does break, do you know where it's going to break? Cause like, yeah, you're going to be like climbing a mountain and, but I, when I say where it's going to break, not where on the course, I mean like, what is the point of failure on the crank? Do you, do they even know, or it could be like any any point? So from what I understood, it was like the glue that connected the two pieces was like it all came out. So then it was just relying on like the splines within the 
within the crank arm and the spindle to like hold itself together. But every time there was any sort of like movement between the two pieces, it was, I mean, wearing those splines down. So I guess at some point it would have just kind of chipped itself away into nothing. And yeah, the cranks would have come both down and hopefully that would have been on a climb, but didn't have to find out. Yeah. Yeah. If it's on a climb, you're torquing more. If it's on a downhill, you're just eating shit, I guess. So, uh, <laughs> either of them could, could have their problems, but I guess, I guess you're rooting for the climb. Yeah. So no, I mean, there is no fix for that. It's uh get a new crank time. Essentially there's, there's no fix. Was there a, was there any like hesitation to continue? What, what was your thought process and mindset between yeah, the safety, like risk ward here, risk reward. Yeah. I mean, I can't say it didn't cross my mind. Um, I was in second place at the time and I mean, I was what 30 hours in. Um, so, I mean, I couldn't realistically like quit. I mean, I'd put so much in, I was, I was very happy with my efforts so far and didn't want to DNF because of something like this. Um, but I mean, the dude that said I should, uh, keep going, I trusted him. So I was like, all right, I guess I'll just, yeah, ride it. Um, was this the mechanic at, at Mulberry Gap that? Yeah. Um, TJ Kearns, he does work for bikepacking.com. Super great guy. Um, yeah. He was helping out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I trusted his advice and was just going to take it easy up and down. So I got um, you. Yeah. How much uh how much like how much wiggle? I mean, I know you can't say exactly, but like in terms of like your pedaling, how how aware, how much are you feeling it as you're going along? Um, I mean, yeah, I can't I couldn't put it into words in terms of like how much movement, but it was definitely visible and it was enough that my knees started to be kind of messed up by it because they would move side to side and then up and down sort of, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. That's what I'm kind of picturing is it, it, it seems like that mechanical would cause your cranks to go forward, side to side, back and forth. I mean, it's just, that that's what I'm picturing. I've never had this mechanical, so I I'm I'm kind of learning with you as we go here. <laughs> yeah, I mean exactly like that. So I mean, I just I ended up walking a lot, so I guess that kind of took some stress out of it, but even still, I mean, especially on like road stuff, you could definitely feel it. Just you don't have the extra vibrations of gravel or single track to offset it, I guess. Like no or uh mask um, those, that feeling or whatever. Exactly. Uh, so at this point you were in second place, you were in second place to Abe or had Abe already scratched at this point? Abe was still in at that point And he was just, I want to say he got there to Mulberry Gap, like either four or six hours before me. So just, he had a massive gap. Pretty, pretty solid, but not insurmountable. So, this is what I was kind of curious about. This 
crank situation I'm, I'm learning i mean this was a pretty pivotal point of the race for you you were chasing abe obviously andrew was pretty close behind you um so how long did this mechanical take you out of racing how long did that whole process take um and where did you kind of land i mean did you fall to third place after that or or how did that impact your race yeah, so I was stopped at Mulberry Gap for only about an hour. I had to pick up a new spot tracker I ate. So, I mean, they told me they couldn't really do anything on my bike. And, I mean, that was just kind of that. So I took off from there. But you have a few miles of um pavement over to Dalton. And that's where my big time suck was. So a friend... um just owned a bike shop, uh, suggested I should probably do something. So I stopped at a Walmart in Dalton and used JB Weld and super glue to, uh, reinforce the connection between the crank arm and spindle. So that took, geez, probably like two hours. Okay. Yeah. Someone else messaged me on Instagram about a, a detour to Walmart and was wondering what that was about. And so that was probably, that was actually the biggest factor. So at Mulberry, I mean, you're eating anyway, you're cleaning your bike. Like you already planned on making that a stop, it sounds like. So it wasn't as mm-hmm. big of a factor in the whole, you know, timing issue, but it was this detour that, that, that made up the biggest difference in terms of race pace yeah. How do you how do you feel about that stop now? Do you think that was the right call? Um absolutely. I mean, I don't think it would have made it to the finish honestly had I not done anything. And I mean, the last 10 miles to the finish, it was getting pretty uh pretty bad again. So, I'm definitely glad I made that stop because <laughs> those 2 hours are definitely better than a DNF, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's cool to win, uh, right? Like maybe you could have skipped that. Maybe you would have just taken the W overall or you might have DNF'd and it's probably cooler to finish it, share the win and, you know, avoid the DNF essentially, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't regret anything for sure. So I'm happy with my decision. Yeah. Well, it's cool, man. I mean, you're always going to come with challenges, uh, whether it's the snake or the crank. Ooh, that rhymes. Or, and, and how do you, how do you deal with them, man? Like, how do you deal with them? How do you make decisions relatively quickly, um, and, and try to stay on pace and, and work through those problems? And I mean, that's kind of the fun, fun of it, I hope. Um, <laughs> the type two fun. Do you have pictures of your crank? I think it would be cool to include that uh, when we do, when we post the show, like what your crank looked like after it was all over. Um, I mean, I have a video of like the motion, but I could probably get a picture and um, send it over of my <laughs> makeshift fix. Yeah. Yeah. Take some pictures and send it to me. I think it'd be, I always love to see the hacks and maybe it'll help people like paint a better picture of like what you were actually dealing with. Cause I feel like, I mean, this isn't a a mechanical that I've heard of, uh, happening too often, you know? So like, I even wonder how many times this, how common this is, but yeah, I mean, I've told it's kind of an issue with those cranks, but I had not heard of it either. So I'm in the same Uh, boat for sure. What crank is it then? 
Uh, ooh, can I throw shade? Um, it's the Race Face Next SLs. Yeah, I mean, I don't care. I don't own that company. Uh, <laughs> and also, you're not an expert. We're just talking about bikes. This has been your experience, and and that's how it was. And so, I don't know. I'm not trying to throw shade on anybody, but I think putting the information out there hopefully is valuable. And if you have that crank, maybe be aware of it. I don't know. Um, so after you said the uh, Walmart was in Dalton? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so where were you at in the race in terms of positioning after that that stop at Dalton? Yeah, so rolling into Dalton, I was second behind Abe, but that detour uh, put me in third. I'm not exactly sure what the gap was, but I mean, I know Andy had definitely some time on me going into the snake, and the snake is right out of Dalton. At what point did Andrew... Uh, Sorry, Abe. At what point did Abe drop out, scratch? Um, and he had, for, for anybody who doesn't know, Abe Kaufman, who was had a pretty good gap, uh, sounds like about five or six hours. I couldn't tell exactly on track leaders, but he had a pretty good gap. You would like reel him in a little bit, but he seemed like he was always like a little bit out of reach and he, he was having a great race. Um, he, he came in fourth at, um, tour divide this year. So Abe is no slouch, uh, to bike packing. Um, and I, I, I could tell, I, uh, talked to him on Instagram quickly and he, um, you know, he had knee issues and, um, his, he said his mind and everything was willing, but his body just wasn't, wasn't in there. And that's too bad. Um, were you, were you aware that he dropped out? Um, or, or when did you find out? Yeah. Um, I think I got a text telling me that around like seven that next morning. So I got out of the Dalton Walmart about 11 PM. I guess that would be Sunday night. So 7 a.m. morning of Monday, I was told, yeah, he dropped. Um, so, I mean, I think that was right about when it happened. So I was updated pretty quick. What was your mental space in terms of were, were you were you gunning for the W? I mean, we know that you weren't you didn't set a goal of saying, hey, I want to win this thing. But I can't imagine anytime you're like getting close to the front that you're not thinking, hey, I would like to win it. Um, were, were you chasing Abe? Were you feeling very racy against Andrew? Or were you able to, were you just staying in your own space and focusing on what you needed to do? Yeah, I'll be honest. Abe was just on another level. Like he was just putting some crazy time on us, just riding so strong. So I knew I couldn't, it wasn't realistic for me to catch Abe, but um, I was kind of chasing Andy. I wanted to catch up to him. And then especially once Abe dropped, I was, my competitive spirits were definitely uh, lit again. So that was when I was like really back in the race, if there was ever any doubt. Um, yeah. So yeah, I just was chasing him, trying to be as efficient as possible. So what uh what happened? Obviously y'all finished together, but um yeah, what what happened in terms of catching up to him? So I want to say I caught him around like 10 a.m. Um he was just stopped on a gravel road eating like breakfast. Um and I was super happy to see him. I mean, I didn't think I would ever catch him. I've been chasing him for the last 
almost 12 hours. Um, Mm -hmm. But I was super happy to see him. And then we were just riding together. And then we ended up riding about the same pace for, I mean, the rest of the race. And then we just decided we would finish together. What mile did you run into him out, just for perspective? Uh, I'll be honest. I'm not totally sure. Maybe two maybe between like 250 and maybe around 250 i don't know so there's there i mean there's still 100 ish 100 ish miles left i take that back that's totally not right maybe like okay. 280 sorry <laughs> okay well 70 miles yeah yeah that's not too far off i mean you know we'll give or take 30 miles here <laughs> so when you caught up to Andy, uh, was he? Um, I'm guessing y'all were both feeling pretty racy um, and and competitive at that point. So the next 70 miles, how did it how did it go? Were y'all just leapfrogging each other? Were you riding together quite a bit? You're trying to shake them, but you couldn't. What happened? I mean, that was his first bikepacking race, actually, and he hadn't checked the tracker like all race, so he wasn't super in it to win it. He was just riding incredibly strong, which I thought was awesome. Um, so, I mean, I don't think either of us was too like racy. I mean, I was enjoying, um, talking to him, uh, hearing about his race. Um, and then, like I said, I asked him if he wanted to race for it in the last, I don't know, that was around mile three fifteen, is when I asked what his plans were for the rest. Um, so then that was kind of when it was decided that like, it wasn't really going to be a race. We were just going to stick together. So why, why was that decision made? I'm not being critical, just curious. Yeah. Um, I mean, I asked him and he said, I mean, if we were still together, we'd just finish together. Um, I'm not exactly sure his reasoning, but I wasn't going to, attack him after he uh he said he didn't want to race i didn't feel like that would be quite right so no of course not not if y'all yeah. both kind of have a gentlemanly agreement but what was your perspective going into that conversation were you uh were you kind of like open to either outcome or, or were you wanting to make it a little bit more of a race yeah i mean i was definitely open to either one i always enjoy myself a race i would very much consider myself a racer most of the time Um, but I mean, I wasn't open to, uh, I wasn't close to finishing together. That would have been cool too. So, yeah, you're nursing a bike at this point too. Was that also something that you're like on your mind and and concerned about? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I wasn't sure how it would fare with me trying to push the pace, whether that be on a climb or a downhill. I mean, given it could literally snap under me so uh yeah it was always on the top of my mind before you had that conversation at mile 315 um so our if we're doing our rough math and nobody go back and check us because we're only we're just here and here talking but you had about 45 miles or so where you were still racing um where you still you know i presume you were trying to pull away and and put a gap on them and all that kind of stuff. But from what I can tell, it sounds like y'all were just really paced together pretty well anyway. And I don't even know if 
uh, a sprint at the finish would would have been appropriate. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't feeling too great. Um, I wasn't really trying to put a big gap or anything. I wasn't going to slow down to a snail's pace or anything, but I was in no shape for an attack for sure. <laughs> it's always like, I always am curious, like how freaking tired are you? Um, and it's like, I don't even know how you put it, put it into words, like how mentally and physically fatigued you are. Um, you know, at mile 300 or 315 of a race when you're like two days into it, you know, like, I mean, are you feeling pretty cognitive at that point or are you just like going on instinct? Um, yeah, I don't know how I'd put it into words. Uh, definitely don't feel good. Um, I don't know how people (laughs) can do all the even crazier races, uh, and have energy at the end. But I mean, yeah, just feeling pretty fatigued. So slow. Everything was just a chore, you know, whether that be just like getting off the bike or getting back on to hike or yeah, everything. Everything was a chore. Did you ever run into Abe? I know you obviously you passed him. It looked like he was a little off trail. Did you ever see him while you were on the race? So we rode the first uh, 35 miles together and it was super cool to meet him. He was a super cool dude. Um, and then we caught back up around mile 55 when he was stopped. Um, and that was the last time we ever saw him at mile 55. And so yeah. whenever he dropped off and went off trail, you didn't see him when you passed by. Was that like when he DNF? Yeah. Yeah. No, we never saw him. Okay. Interesting. So how, what was your, um, we know your, I think your low point was the crank. Was that your low point? Yes, I'd definitely say it was. Okay. How how did you, in that moment, deal with with it mentally? Did you, I mean, you know, you talked about beating yourself up over snake, the snake section, and it really kind of getting to you. So how mentally did you deal with, with this issue? Um, I mean, I just tried as hard as I could just to stay positive. I mean... I was still making good time and I had to tell myself that. I mean, it was, I couldn't have even dreamed of being in second. Like that was incredible. So I just had to kind of keep that at the front of my mind. And I mean, just try to stay efficient. If I had to walk, walk quickly and get back on the bike. Um, And I mean, it helped when I was gaining back time on Andy, that felt good. And um, that was a boost, but, yeah, just trying to stay positive as best as I could, you know? And did you? Um, Yeah, definitely better than I ever have before by a considerable margin. So I'd consider that a personal victory. Yeah. What do you think attributes to that experience? I don't know. I'd, yeah, I'd say experience is definitely probably number one. I mean, I, I have a lot more yeah, experience with it than I did last year. Um, and I mean, totally different circumstances, different challenges. So I can't like comparing apples to oranges, but, um, yeah, experience definitely helped. Yeah. Just able to keep it in perspective. It's a long race. 
try not to, I mean, this goes for anybody, but like, don't let those little moments become big moments if you can, but it's, you know, it's easy to armchair quarterback. And that's why we're talking about it because like when you're tired and hungry and everything hurts and you know, you're doing well and then you have a mechanical, it's like, well, shoot, man, that's not even like, I didn't do that. You know, my bike was ready, you know? And so it, it, it's easier said than done because it's easy to let those things pull you out of contention or just put you in a negative headspace and maybe not be able to recover from that. And so, yeah, you got a good head on your shoulders. I like it. It's good that you can like be mindful of that stuff when you're in it. And then now that you're out of it, you refer to it as a personal victory. So you understand the importance of being able to do that. What do you take away from this experience? I mean, we're, I'm sure you will and will continue to take away a lot from it. And you'll probably think about things that you haven't even thought about yet because you're so fresh off coming off of it. But sitting here now, what do you, what do you take away from this experience? Mm, um, I mean, yeah, I learned a lot about like myself mentally that I think will really benefit me in both like whatever races come next. And I mean, just life, you know, whether that be school or work or family, um, just about balancing everything, keeping it in perspective. Um, it's very valuable for sure. Yeah. I think one of your best attributes just from, I mean, we just met, uh, but I feel like you have a very calm personality. Um, I feel like you probably think about things and process them and, um, and don't get too riled up just as a general rule. Am I closer? I know we've only met each other an hour and a half ago. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to think so most of the time. Um, yeah, I definitely try not to get too, yeah, crazed up or anything, but you know, everyone, everyone has their moments. There's not a single person that's perfect. So it's just, uh, everyone's got to work on it, you know? Absolutely. You know, stress is not conducive to, you know, free muscle movement to free thinking, you know, stress and anxiety and these, they, they hinder our abilities to perform well at all levels. And so it is a skill. And if you can master that, if you can remain calm and work through problems and put things into perspective, um, it's going to go a long way. And yeah, I don't, I have to, I just like, on the surface level as an outsider looking in, you've had two pretty successful runs at the TNGA at a, at a young age. My, my gut is telling me that that has something to do with it. You know, that, that ability to just probably remain calm and and work through problems as they come and don't buy into the fears. Don't buy into the mechanicals. Don't buy into how hard things are or whatever. Like, those are the things that mentally will just like suck you down. But if you can, if you can stay above it and just stay calm, put things in perspective and just keep turning the pedals, you know, I don't know. Does that resonate with you? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. I've had my experiences with not taking that approach and I can definitely tell you it's better to stay calm and knock it down on yourself. So, yeah. You said you went back to school today. When did you say you went back to school? Uh, well, today was my first day back after TNGA, but school started uh, Sorry, that's two and a half I mean. weeks today, ago. 
today was your first day back. Yes. But what I don't understand, did you get out of school early to have this conversation or does your school get out earlier than most schools? Like what's going on? I didn't think about that till we were talking. <laughs> yeah, I have, uh, I take two periods of work study. So I get out at 11, 15, as long as I work a certain amount of hours a week. Oh, is that because you've already kind of completed all your coursework in terms of what you need to graduate? So you have these like free periods, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Oh, nice. Well, good. I'm glad I'm not taking you out of school uh, longer. <laughs> yeah. what, what was school like today? Um, are you I mean, how aware of your uh, of this accomplishment are your friends? Is this a big deal? What is that like? Um, I mean, a lot of people knew, uh, more than I thought really. Um, so that was pretty cool. Everyone was super happy for me. So that felt, that felt nice. Um, yeah, so everyone was happy. Um, and then, I mean, mentally I was pretty out of it. Um, (laughs) nothing was quite working right in the, in my head, but you know, I guess I expected that, but you were there, but you weren't there. What about your teachers? Were your teachers like having you stand up in class? Did the principal make an announcement on loudspeaker? Were you on the local news? I mean, how I'm just curious, like this is a big deal. You know, my whole world is bikepacking. So like, I don't know, you know, it's, it's just a different perspective that I have than most people. Most people aren't as aware of how big of a deal this is. So I'm kind of curious how you're I don't know your friend group and your local community like how how aware are they of how big of a deal this is you know yeah i mean they don't quite understand like yeah how big of a deal it is and like it's a pretty high caliber race i guess but um they were super happy and i mean they couldn't quite understand why you would do something like this for no sort of like prizes or like no big podium or anything but uh you know it's a it's hard to explain to people but yeah they were super happy too so yeah it was cool to come back to that for sure yeah tell them to listen to the podcast and we'll tell them all about it oh yeah for sure what's next for you what what are your goals i mean not in life um not that i don't care but for bikepacking, I mean, what what kind of goals, if any, do you have? Do you have any other events planned? Like, what are you thinking? Um, nothing on the calendar at this point. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd like to do anything and everything. But, uh, you know, I'm 17. It makes it difficult to travel. And I have school, which is, I mean, takes up a lot of time. So, uh, yeah, just open to anything that kind of comes my way. And hopefully something bigger and cooler soon i don't know well you're still doing cross-country racing with your high school i assume yes i am so that starts races start within the next month or so i believe so that's something to hold me for a little bit keep keep you on active on your bike at least do you have any bucket? I mean, it's not too far before you're 18 and you're graduated from high school. I mean, that's next summer. I mean, uh, tour divide, uh, could happen. I, I don't, I don't know. I'm curious. I mean, I've got to think at 17 after having two pretty successful runs of the TNGA, you learned a lot. You came back, you went through adversity, had a great run. And I know you're still fresh off of it, but I have to think that like lights a little bit of a fire and like kind of opens up. You're like, okay, 
what's next, you know? And maybe you're asking yourself that same question. Oh, yeah, I absolutely have. I mean, dreams of Tour Divide and, I don't know, Silk Road and everything, really. But, I mean, That's what there I will come hear. a time. Yeah. No hurry. Again, you're great at putting things in perspective uh, <laughs> and remaining calm, which is a good approach. But, yeah. So, that answers my question, though. Like, you, you're you're in. You love the bikepacking. You like the bike pack racing and 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 you're it sounds like you're curious to find yeah what other opportunities and and in what other ways you can like push yourself essentially yeah i'm looking forward to whatever comes next for sure whatever that may be well i'm looking forward to watching you do some more racing uh hopefully sooner rather than later don't don't wait all the way till tnga next year you know let's throw up a summer event for you something <laughs> I'd like to get you down for the East Texas Showdown. You come out here and uh, blow up my course. It's only, well, it's going to be about 400 miles this year, but it's only going to, it's still only like 18,000 feet of climbing. So, you, you know, <laughs> it's like nothing compared to what, what you've done. But your pesky school is a problem. You know, we got to work on that. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, I'd love to get down there. Um, I might have to see. It depends on where it'll fall this year. So. All right, PJ, how much percentage left do you have on your battery there? On oh, your geez. Um, not much. Uh, five. Oh, five. Well, good. That was my last question. So we're, we're done. <laughs> good job. Your All phone right. lasted, your phone and your crank lasted just the right amount to be able to accomplish your goals, whether it be TNGA or the Bikes for Death podcast. You just like to cut it close. That's your MO. I guess so. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Man, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. It's um it's really exciting. I'm excited. I mean, sorry that, you know, I make a big deal about your age. I'm not necessarily trying to, but I, I think it's cool. I think I I want to see this sport grow. I want, you know, young people to see that they can do this and I wanna see you keep growing in the sport. And so uh to me it's just all very exciting. And I think one thing I really enjoy is getting to talk to people like when it's pretty fresh, you know, like you just came off, you barely have slept, you know, you yes, you were, you were alive yesterday, but barely, you know, I mean, you're just like mentally kind of just now wrapping your head around probably everything and kind of, you know, coming back to some normalcy. And so I appreciate you like, yeah, taking the time to chat with me, even though you're probably fatigued and tired and want to just be eating ice cream and pizza right now. <laughs> Well, I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah. We'll do it again, man. We'll take care and maybe we can see you at the takeover this year. I'll uh, I'll shoot you an email and we'll we'll see if we can work something out. All right. Sounds good. All right, buddy. Take care. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. All right, everybody, thank you for tuning in to today's episode and a big shout out to PJ for not only having an amazing run on the TNGA, but being an amazing human and helping us all feel a little, a little bit better about the future of our sport. So great to see younger people getting interested at a younger age, and I can't imagine that this doesn't do anything but help grow our community. And uh, if they're all like PJ, I'd say we're in good hands. Now, next week's episode is going to be with Seth Dubois. He just finished up his run of the Silk Road mountain bike race. This is a race that I think has captivated the attention of the entire world. It 
looks like a whole nother world out there. And I'd love to get out there one day to personally either race in it or document it. I just want to be there. I'm excited to have Seth come on and share his experience with us. So you can look forward to that next week. But until then, don't forget, if you want to support this show right now, Hefe Bike is doubling up your contributions. So all you need to do is head over to patreon.com forward slash bikes or death, pick a level that feels right to you, and Hefe Bike will automatically double your contribution. Another reminder, if you need some shades, check out the Ombra's Armless Sunglasses they're offering a special deal to Bikes or Death listeners. All you have to do is use the code BOD20 at checkout. You will get $20 off your order, and Bikes or Death will get a $20 check in the mail, which is pretty sweet. It's a win, 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 win. So if you want to be a winner, head over to ombras.com, use the code BOD20, and make the magic happen. All right, well, that is today's episode before I leave you, I'd like to share a quote from Albert Einstein, and he says, Life is like riding a bicycle. In order to keep your balance, you must keep moving. Wise words from a wise man. All right, everybody, thank you so much for being here. It is always a pleasure. Until next time, don't forget, go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. Grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever before. Was it your imagination or merely folklore? Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke, stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless, your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself, just a few more miles. Bikes. Bikes.